Hello, everybody. I'm joined today by the boys, Sam Godsey and Tanner Dislin. I'm your host, Keegan Turnbow. Week two of the college football season just completed, as did week one of the NFL's regular season. Only a few weeks remain until the postseason and the MLB. It doesn't matter where you look in sports. Drama is active and alive. Let's get into it, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Crunch Time. Sam and Tanner, what's on your mind today, boys? Uh, it's an electric weekend for football, and I i mean, we're in the heart of good sports, so I'm excited. Dana? Yeah, I'll tell you what's on my mind right now is the gridiron. How could it, how could it not be? when With college football really ramping up, starting to soon get into some conference games, and now the NFL's back, It's it, football is certainly back, and it's, and it's a great time to be interested. When it comes to American sports, football is king. Nothing really tops it. And we're going to be talking about quite a few of those things right now. Winners and losers this past weekend had quite a bit of both. Sam, who was a winner and who was a loser for you this week? So for the winners, I got to go with my home team, the Arkansas Razorbacks, more specifically their run game this weekend. They ended up being number 15, Texas, 40 to 21. They had 471 total yards compared to Texas's 256. And 331 of those yards was from rushing attack for the Hogs. They averaged about 7.1 yards per rush. Their running back, Traylon Smith, had 12 attempts for 75 yards for one touchdown. Their quarterback, K.J. Jefferson, 10 attempts for 73 yards. Their backup running back, seven attempts for 67 yards and one touchdown. That was A.J. Green. Then their backup backup uh, running back, Dominic Jones, uh, six attempts for 44 yards, one touchdown. And then their backup quarterback ran for 29 yards. So obviously hearing those stat lines, you can tell Arkansas just dominated when it came to ground game their defense played exceptional recovered two uh fumbles so huge win in a old school rivalry for the arkansas razorbacks over texas longhorns and then for my losers i mean how can you not talk about the piss poor performance by the iowa state cyclones they were taking l's before the game even started we got corso taking jabs saying y'all haven't seen the Cyhawk trophy in a couple years, thought he brought it out. The guest picker to game day is Ashton Kutcher, your rivalry alumni. So they it was they were down bad from the start, boys. And then this is one of the best Iowa State teams, perhaps the best. And they lose to Iowa 27 to 17. Their big players choked. Brock Purdy, 13 for 27, 130 yards, yikes. Three picks, even more yikes. And then a QBR rating of 16.2. The backup quarterback played better. He, Deckers, went 11 for 16, 114, one touchdown. Then we got their amazing running back, uh, Brees Hall, in their backfield. 16 attempts for 69 yards, one touchdown, and then a fumble which ended up a Hawkeye touchdown. Iowa State was fraudulent, and uh, the Hawks got a huge dub in this uh, in-state rivalry. Before transitioning on to Tanner, last episode, one of the games that we picked was Arkansas and Texas. Something that I said was that Texas is not back, but I didn't think that Arkansas was good enough to beat Texas. 
oh, how wrong I was. Arkansas Nation, my apologies. Texas, what's going on, man? You're going to join the SEC, and you lost that badly to one of the, like, like the SEC is respectable. Arkansas is a decent team. They're a, di- they're a nice squad. They're in the top 25. But that's not Alabama. <laughs> that's not Georgia. Yeah, I, I tell you, I want to kind of get in on this apology, too, because my, my prediction was, uh, was that Texas would win, and it was going to be a close game. I was 0 for 2. Arkansas won, and it wasn't close at all. Texas is going to have to figure something out if they're, they're going to try and make noise in this new conference because with all due respect to Arkansas, they're a formidable team, as you said. They've kind of been in the cellar of the SEC for the past you know, five years or so. So uh, Texas is going to have a long transition ahead of them if that is what's going to happen. Tanner, winners and losers for you. What do you have? You know, we start talking about all this, start with all this football, and uh, I'm going to throw the first and only curveball, pun intended, of the day today because I'm going to the diamond and my winner is New York city and more specifically baseball fans in New York city Saturday, as we all know, was the 20th anniversary of the nine uh, 11 terrorist attacks. And on that day we had the Mets and the Yankees face off in, in a game. However, um, from the beginning, it was an incredible ceremony honoring first responders, honoring those who, who lost their lives and uh, and both teams removed the 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 team from their jersey. There was no Mets. There was no Yankees. It was both New York. And for the national anthem, it was Met Yankee, Met Yankee, alternating on both uh, both foul lines. Uh, the crowd joined in on a uh, on a very meaningful um, national anthem. So it was a really really great moment for the city of New York and and for for baseball in general. And then off of that, it was just a great baseball game. Yankees ended up winning 8-7 on a late home run by Aaron Judge to tie it. It was back and forth, back and forth. And then you go to Sunday, and you have an even better baseball game in which Francisco Lindor hits three home runs, taunts the Yankees a little bit. Giancarlo Stanton ties the game, taunts him back. Both benches clear. It seems like that this will be the Subway Series to come with Steve Cohen owning the, owning the Mets and bringing in star power. It should be a great two-big-market team rivalry once again. So that's my winner for the week. My loser, we're going to bring it back. It's Florida State. I mean, you come out and you play a hard-fought game against one of the better teams in the nation against Notre Dame. You have the whole Mackenzie Milton story, and you're just feeling good. You're feeling good that we put together a quality game or that Florida State put together a quality game against a quality opponent and barely lost. And then you play Jacksonville State. You're up three with six seconds left in an obvious Hail Mary situation. And it wasn't even a Hail Mary. Sometimes bodies get lost in the pile. No, it wasn't even a Hail Mary. It was a just a go route of which the corner got burned. The ball was caught behind the corner. The safety was late getting over. And the receiver caught the pass at the 20, juked two defenders to get in for the game-winning touchdown as time expired. How that is possible that that could happen in a college football game when you know the only way you lose is if they score a touchdown. They don't have enough time to get down and score a field goal. They need to score a touchdown, and that's the defense you put out. That is horrible, and I am irate if I'm a Florida State fan, so they are my big loser for the week. Oh, how quickly winners can turn to losers on crunch time. Last week, Florida State was one of our winners, but in a terrible showing in the fourth quarter. Yeah, that'll make you a loser. Winners and losers for myself for this past week. A big winner will be the Cardinals. Switching over to the NFL after making some big offseason moves like bringing in veterans, J.J. Watt and A.J. Green, corner Malcolm Butler, 
and a younger running back from Pittsburgh, James Conner, common knowledge pointed to the Cardinals improving from last year. They were building around core offensive pieces like Kyler Murray, DeAndre Hopkins, and they're getting some help for a needy defense. Coming into this season, week one matched them up with the Tennessee Titans, who had an offensive splash of their own in getting Julio Jones. Everyone expected for this game to be a very high-scoring game, and it was for the Cardinals. They come out guns blazing, putting up 38 points on the Titans' defense. It was the Titans' offense that was expected to keep pace with the Cardinals, but the Cardinals' defense held them to 13 points. Probably the most impressive piece of the whole puzzle was that they allowed Derrick Henry only 58 yards. Last year, Derrick Henry coming out stiff-arming grown men like they were just a little tackle dummy that you'd bring up in practice. Just stiff arm, out of my way, I'm going downfield to the end zone. Only 58 yards. This was a massive win for the Cardinals, which is why they were my winner for the week. Transitioning back to college football, going to our loser, we have the Ohio State Buckeyes and specifically their defense. In a home loss to an Oregon team who struggled against Fresno State, the Buckeyes defense allowed 505 yards throughout the day. Fresno State only allowed 358 yards throughout the day. The Oregon rushing attack against the Buckeyes gained over 269 yards on over seven yards per attempt. Three touchdowns through the run, two touchdowns through the air, but that defense could not get a single turnover throughout the entire day. In a game where your offense put up 28 points, you'd like to see more, but that's respectable. You can't get one turnover. You can't give the offense one break. And you lost at home, probably because of that. For those reasons, Ohio State, your defense was a big loser this past week. A honorable mention for loser of the week, just referees in general. We have two instances that Sam and Tanner are going to talk about for moments where referees definitely lost. Sam, what was your loss pertaining to referees? So about the five-minute mark of the Cleveland Browns versus uh, Chiefs game, Brown safety Ronnie Harrison was ejected from the game. He made a tackle on running back Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. He stepped on Hilaire, and then offensive line bumped him. Uh, and then a Chiefs assistant coach tried to calm the situation, and Harrison got upset and actually punched the assistant coach. Now, this is where it gets ridiculous. The officiating crew initially flagged the Kansas City sideline for unnecessary roughness when Harrison, Cleveland Brown cornerback, punched the assistant coach of the Chiefs. They actually took it to review, and they ended up ejecting Harrison from the game. But the fact they had to go to review is just utterly ridiculous and i honestly had a good laugh about it because how can you miss someone stepping on a player and then punching slash shoving the assistant coach should have should the assistant coach mess with the situation probably not but you can't punch an assistant what's your incident tanner the mine also has a little bit to do with replay and this comes in the vikings bengals game that concluded yesterday the, the game was in overtime, and, and the Vikings had the ball at a, out the 
Bengals 40. So they were, they were putting together a little drive to hopefully get in field goal range and, of course, go on to win the game in overtime. That's when Dalvin Cook was handed the ball and was stuffed and had a minimal gain. And as many runs in football do, there were defensive and offensive linemen surrounding him. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a Bengals player comes out with the football. Now, the refs come out to make a call. Why? Because the rules say they have to. They look at each other, almost as confused as me, who, as a Minnesota Vikings fan, just saw a critical fumble, and they make a call. Like I said, because they have to. I would have made the same call. A Bengals player comes out with the football, you give him the football. It happens a million times in a football game. But then they go to replay, as they should. And on the replay, A, you clearly see Dalvin Cook. His backside is on the ground with control of the football. But that is neither here nor there because they rule that there was not enough evidence to overturn the call in the first place. So, yes, there was not enough evidence upon replay overturn a call that they made because they had to with zero evidence. How does that make sense? I would love to know how that makes sense. What really fired me up was what the announcer said. The announcers, and including uh, Mike Pereira, the Fox uh, NFL rules analyst, came on and said, I agree with what you, the announcer, said, that that is, he is probably down, that there is not enough evidence to overturn the call. Again, mind you, which was made with zero evidence. But why? Why, in a situation like that, where there are bodies everywhere, the refs had no clue what happened. Why can they not go to replay and say, we didn't see it? Because now, under this circumstance where they have made a call and are now looking for evidence to disprove the call that they made, again, with zero evidence, there's this preconceived notion and a burden of proof that falls on, in this case, the Minnesota Vikings. How is that fair when, again, there was no evidence to begin with? I don't understand that notion that a call has to be made, even though, even if there is zero evidence and the, and, the, and the referees didn't see anything, and then upon replay, you have to, with clear and indisputable evidence, refute that original claim that was not seen at all. That makes zero sense to me. And this preconceived notion of watching a replay, looking for evidence, disproving something that you ruled with no evidence does not make sense. I couldn't agree more. As a Packers fan, I quite enjoyed the outcome of the game. But as an unbiased football fan, I want to see things happen the way they're supposed to go. You look at that play, Dalvin Cook was down. I think there was more than enough evidence to overturn that preconceived notion. But there does seem to be a problem with that language in general. Similarly with the Des Bryant catch, against the Packers in the playoffs several years ago, similar to a Calvin Johnson catch several years before that, the NFL eventually had to change their catch rule because there were things that were being overturned because of a bad rule. If something happens again, similar to this, where we can run into another rule change because of this, if it makes the sport better, which I think it will, the NFL needs to change the rules the way that they use replays, the way that they, they use challenges. Change the language so we can make the sport better. Yeah, if I just 
you know, regardless on, on whether or not you thought there was enough evidence to overturn the call, it, there's just such an innate problem with that system that you have to make a call on the field, even if you didn't see it. And that call weighs so heavily on the final call after you have reviewed it. Why can't there be an option where referees can go and say, there were too many bodies, we didn't see it. Then you go to the camera and you form a call looking on the instant replay without having to disprove anything. That is is something that I think needs to be implemented because that was just ridiculous. I think that we probably will have a change in the language. Unfortunately, the question being is how many games need to be ruled in the incorrect manner leading to teams winning and losing who shouldn't have for that rule to change. Moving on to the next segment, we have something new on the show called Judgment. In this situation, we will have one judge. Today, that will be Sam. He is going to judge Tanner and I. We're going to be giving different arguments on our preseason, or I guess now week one, NFL predictions on awards. MVP, Offensive and Defensive Player of the Year, Most Improved Player of the Year, and Rookie of the Year. We will be giving arguments for each position, and after each position goes, after each award passes, Sam will award one of us with a point. The first person to three points, or the person who wins the most out of five, is the winner. And from there on out, will be the judge of next week where we have a new segment with a new topic. So today, Sam will be our judge. Tanner and I will be going ahead and giving our arguments for each position. Tanner, would you like to go first or should I? I'll kick it off. I'll go first. Why not? Um, so the, the, first, uh, the first award we'll be arguing today is the, the MVP, uh, for obvious reasons, the, most, the, the biggest award in the NFL season. And my way too early preseason slash just after week one um, prediction is Kyler Murray. We all saw what he did yesterday. I mean, we all know what kind of quarterback he is too. Just incredible talent. But this year is different. Because it is his first year that he had a full training camp and OTAs with NFL experience. 2019 was his rookie year. He went through OTAs then, but didn't have any experience. 2020, no OTAs, no camp, no preseason. We just went cold turkey right into the season. Now he has the adequate buildup to a full NFL season. His team made many, many upgrades, as you talked about already, Keegan, signing A.J. Green. And on the defensive side, signing J.J. Watt, Malcolm Butler, re-signing... Um, re-signing Chandler Jones on that defensive line. That makes the team better. And we all know that a better football team strengthens an MVP case. Arizona Cardinals will compete in an NFC West that is stacked and that a lot of team penciled in the Rams, myself included, penciled in the Rams to win. But the, the Cardinals will compete. They might even push it to a, to a, week, a, a week 17 winner-take-all um, type of feel, and, and we'll, we'll certainly make the playoffs on the back of number one and in a remarkable season, and that's why Kyler Murray will be your MVP. 
Kyler Murray is someone who's incredibly difficult to argue against for this award, especially after the week we just had. The one person who I think, and it feels somewhat like a cop-out here, but I can't go against it given what just happened in week one. The MVP for the 2021 season will be Patrick Mahomes. The reason why he's going to be the most valuable is because the Chiefs have an incredibly difficult schedule this year and against some of the best defenses in the league, like the Cleveland Browns, who made some major improvements with their defense coming into this year. He went out, didn't throw a single interception. He went out and threw for 337 yards, completed 75% of his passes with a quarterback rating of 131. Let's just say that he goes on pace to do that. In terms of yards per game, this is about on pace with what he normally does, just a little higher than his past few years. He keeps this up for a season. He's going to tally over 5,700 yards, which will break the single season record for most passing yards in the season. Now, a caveat to that, this, this NFL season does have one more game. So we're going to see some records being broken here in the next few years, and a lot of them because of that fact. But throwing for nearly 6,000 yards in a season, that's still incredible. He's currently on pace for throwing 50, uh, 51 touchdowns on the year. The Kansas City Chiefs is one of the best teams in the league, one of the best offenses in the league. The one detractor that I have for Kyler Murray is when you take a moment to consider who it was against. Because Kyler Murray had a fantastic game. But when you take a look at the Titans defense, if you look at 2020, in terms of total yards, the Titans allowed the fifth most total yards out of any team. There were 27 teams that did better than they did on defense in terms of allowing yards. And on top of that, Kyler Murray is going up against some stout defenses in the division. And we don't know just yet how he'll perform against them with this offense. He might do really well. I think they're going to win a lot of games, but will it be enough to top Patrick Mahomes and the, one of the most explosive offenses the NFL has ever seen? Let me tell you something, something that you said, something that you said is that you're talking about how great of a performance this was for Patrick Mahomes and how, if he continues it, that's about what his career pace has been. Hmm. If he continues this, this is, this is not a great season for Patrick Mahomes. It's a normal season for Patrick Mahomes. He is that good. And voter fatigue is a real thing, my friend. It happens with Mike Trout every year in the American League. It's that these people who come out and have great years, you're so shocked, but the consistent people who do it day in and day out, they get fatigued. And they don't want to vote for Mahomes again. He's, he's, the, he's the favorite. He's won it already. They want to give it to someone new. All voters do. And if he continues this, it is just a normal season for Patrick Mahomes. While Kyler Murray, if he, can, if he continued to do what he did, like you said, against a bad defense, but it's also only week one. He's got new weapons to get accustomed to. He's got a new offensive line to work out different protections. Voter fatigue is a huge factor in this. And one of the reasons I, I tip the scale to Kyler Murray. So voter fatigue is definitely a piece of it until you consider that he hasn't won since 2018. Lamar Jackson won 2019. Aaron Rodgers won in 2020. This will only be the second time he's done that in his five-year career. 
His rookie year, he came in, he played one game at the very end of the season. No one counts that. His first full season, he wins MVP. He throws for over 5,000 yards. The next year, when Lamar Jackson won, he only threw for 4,000 yards. He only threw for 26 touchdowns. Of course, he's not going to win MVP. He didn't play majority of the year. Against in 2020, he missed a few games due to an injury partway through the year. And then Aaron Rodgers goes out and throws for 47 touchdowns. Photo fatigue is definitely a piece of it because Patrick Mahomes is the favorite, but he's the favorite for a reason. But Kyler Murray is definitely going to be a formidable opponent in that. Those are some great arguments, gentlemen. One thing I take into consideration with MVP is if you replace a that player with an average quarterback, would it be the same results? And honestly, we've seen in the past with Andy Reid's offense, if you put any quarterback in there, they tend to do well, especially with the op with the talent around Patrick Mahomes and Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey. You can go on and on. So with that being said, the ruling is Tanner takes the MVP argument. Keegan, I'm going to let you start out with uh, Offensive Player of the Year. Mm. Kyler Murray is going to have a great season, and I'm okay losing the round one to to Kyler Murray because he's going to have a great year. I'm looking forward for it. No, 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 no. Patrick Mahomes lost to Kyler Murray. You lost to me. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Tanner, we'll take this one. Offensive Player of the Year is going to be Christian McCaffrey. He is one of the most versatile players that the NFL has seen in a long time at the running back position. As it pertains to running backs, you pretty much have one of two types of players. You're going to have someone that's going to power through you. That's going to be your Derrick Henry. Or you're going to have somebody who's going to be speedy on the outside. That makes me think more like Alvin Kamara. Can he put it right through the hole? Yeah, I definitely can. He's a good running back. The Saints have a nice offensive line. But he is typically someone that's going to make you miss in space. Christian McCaffrey, he's going to do both. The last full season that Christian McCaffrey had was the 2019 season, where he rushed for over, for just shy of 1,400 yards, had 15 touchdowns through his legs, and through the air, had another 1,000 yards. He's somebody who's going to be a dual threat. Uh, one last argument to, my, to me going with Christian McCaffrey is that offensive player of the year, three of the last four years, it has gone to the best offensive non-quarterback. The last person to win offensive player of the year that was a quarterback was Patrick Mahomes in 2018. The reason why Christian McCaffrey is going to win this year is because simply put, he's just going to be the best offensive player that's not a quarterback. Tanner? Funny enough, I spent this entire time campaigning for Kyler Murray, my offensive player of the year, is Patrick Mahomes because like you said, Keegan, he will have an incredible year. He is Patrick Mahomes. He is greatness right now at the quarterback position, but Kyler Murray is going to come out of nowhere. He's going to get that MVP for, for like you said, Sam, that, that if you put someone else in their position, how would they perform? But award season will not go by without giving him an award because of how good he was throughout that season. To, to Keegan's point of three of the last four going to, to, non-quarterbacks i get that but patrick mahomes won in 18 in 2018 and before that three of the four were quarterbacks and 
four of the last six were quarterbacks. They will. It's it's not where they don't want to give it to quarterbacks. Three of the four years, you're right. Three of the last four, it has. But four of the last six before that, it was. Patrick Mahomes is going to have an incredible year. The voters will will not let, like I said, not let award season go by without giving him an award and kind of like almost like a, a second rate, not winning the MVP, but he was still so good this year that they're going to slide in and give it, give it to him for offensive player of the year. Those are some great arguments again, boys. But one thing I was thinking when y'all were making arguments is, Tanner, you kind of counterattacked yourself with the whole voter fatigue, whether it be MVP or Offensive Player of the Year. Yes, Christian McCaffrey is on a tear this year, so that's why I'm rolling with Christian McCaffrey taking home Offensive Player of the Year this year. Thank you for that point, Sam. Uh, Tanner, would you like to kick off the defensive player of the year, or would you like me to? I'll kick it off this time. Um, so my defensive player of the year, I'm going with Chase Young of the Washington football team. First off, other than Aaron Donald, he might be the most feared defensive player in the league. His combination of speed, power, and strength it, off the edge is pretty much unmatched. This is going to be his first season again with a preseason ramping up to football, having a solid camp and getting to know his other, um, his other defensive linemen who aren't too bad themselves with Montez Sweat on the other side, on the, on the other edge, and just a full, really good defensive line unit. Being an edge rusher, he will accumulate sacks this year. The flashy sacks is the flashy stat that voters will look for. And Aaron Donald who is the best defensive player in football and the most feared defensive player. We talk about it a lot. It's this idea of, of um, voter fatigue. At three of the last four years, he's been defensive player of the year. They're looking for someone new to give it to. Chase Young will break out as a, an elite defensive lineman and an elite pass rusher on that, off that edge of a very talented Washington football team uh, defensive line. Offensive lines will have to pick and choose where they send their help to. And Chase Young will get free a lot. So I'm rolling with Chase Young, who have a double-digit sack season, a if not uh, high double digits, um, or, or excuse me, high teens, and uh, to, to really cause havoc in the backfield. So, so I'm going with Chase Young. Okay, Chase Young's a monster. He's going to have a great season. I'm going to go a different route. I'm going to go with TJ Watt. Both of us decide to avoid the voter fatigue pick with Aaron Donald here. Like you said, three of the last four years. The reason I'm going to go with TJ Watt is simply because he's going to lead the best defense in football. In the 2020 season, Watt had 53 tackles with 25 tackles being for loss and 15 of them being sacks. This year, he starts out with three tackles, two sacks, and a forced fumble in a game where the Steelers' defense held the Bills' offense, a top-five scoring attack in the 2020 season to just 16 points. Last year, in the first 11-12 games, the Steelers had a very strong start to the season. And because of that, TJ Watt was a 2020 Defensive Player of the Year candidate. But then injuries happened, and some holes were starting to be exposed on that Steelers defense. This year, all of their players are coming back. TJ Watt is going to lead the best defense in the league, doesn't even matter that they're going to be in one of the tougher divisions in football because we just saw with week one, doesn't matter who it is. The Bills were a top five team last year in scoring. 
Simply put, you throw that Steelers defense out. TJ Watt's going to get tackles. He's going to get sacks, and he might even get the ball. For those reasons, TJ Watt's going to be the defensive player of the year. Boy, uh, I'll tell you, Keys, I know we're not talking about Aaron Donald, but the Steelers being the best defense in, in the NFL, I think Aaron Donald's going to have something, and Jalen Ramsey and, and Leonard Floyd are going to have something to say about that. You mentioned having 15 sacks last year. TJ Watt was incredible last year. I get that. Chase Young only had seven and a half. Last year was his rookie season. The dude is a physical monster, an absolute monster. And he will be the leading force on not the best defensive unit because Washington isn't the best defensive unit, but the best defensive line in the NFL. He will lead that, he will lead that defensive line, and he will earn Defensive Player of the Year. The Steelers are definitely going to give the Rams their, uh, a run for best defense. The Rams allowed the Bears offense to score 17 points on Sunday Night Football. And the Steelers allowed the Bills to score 16. We'll have to wait and see whether it's the Steelers or whether it's the Rams or whether it's somebody else. But my reasoning is that T.J. Watt and the Steelers defense, they're going to take a step forward. T.J. Watt, he's going to give the league a run for the most tackles, for the most sacks. And I'm not sure that Chase Young is going to be able to keep up. I, I am. I mean, the, the dude, the dude is, is borderline. I don't know how you block him. Like he, he, he is faster than TJ Watt. He, I, I just don't know. I think that he will keep up with sacks. I think he will keep up with tackles because he is that good. Again, gentlemen, you presented some great cases. I will say I have a little thought on this. Keegan, you kept mentioning how, the Steelers have the best defense in all of the NFL. This award is for defensive player of the year. Now you look at the Steelers competition in their division. They have the Bengals, Ravens, Browns. Browns look good against the Chiefs. And the Ravens obviously have Lamar Jackson. Now you go to the um, to football team's division you have the eagles with a young quarterback in jalen hurts you have the giants who shouldn't even be considered a football team at this point <laughs> and then the cowboys who almost won their division with one of the worst records so for that reason the ruling is chase young defensive player of the year and now on to the most improved award Funny enough, Sam, you mentioned my most improved player of the year. Jalen Hurts is going to win the most improved player of the year because he doesn't have to worry about a thing this year. He doesn't have to worry about Carson Wentz. He doesn't have to worry about Doug Peterson, who won a Super Bowl, and then inexplicably just turned the organization to crap. All he has to worry about is just doing his job, not the extra stuff that's going on in the background. Jalen Hurts gets to go out there and play football. And he had quite a nice showing in week one. Throwing for three touchdowns, no interceptions, completing 77% of his passes against the Falcons for 264 yards. A great week one showing for somebody who this year just gets to focus on football. He has the talent. We know he does. 
All he has to do is go out there and play some football. I'm certainly going a different route. And I'm going with Jameis Winston. He had surgery to repair his eyesight, something that he's complained about a lot and blamed a lot of his struggles in the NFL on. He gets it fixed. He has a year to learn behind the great Drew Brees, steps into a, a good offensive team, and he has one of the most dynamic players, not even running backs, but, but players in Alvin Kamara by his side. And he goes out in week one and throws five touchdowns against a team who was one win away from the Super Bowl last year and, and absolutely demolishes them 38-3. to three. Maybe there was a little bit of truth to his eyesight issues because it was never the arm that anybody was skeptical about with Jameis Winston. It was his decision-making. It was his turnovers. It was his inability to read coverage. That all seems to be fixed. And you saw the arm talent on display when it pairs them with good decision-making and eyesight. And when you're able to make the right decision, because you can see he was dropping dimes all over the field against the Packers. And frankly, I have no reason to believe it will stop. Other, they do play in the same division as the Buccaneers. So that will, be, that will be some tough games. But the rest of the division, I mean, the Panthers are improved. The Falcons are not. We, we saw what the Falcons did yesterday against the Eagles. It, you know, the Panthers, we kind of talked to them about, talked about them a little bit. They're a decent team, but I, they play head-to-head. I might lean towards the Saints in that game, all because of, of a, what seemingly is a, a good replacement for Drew Brees because he can finally see and is finally making the right decisions, and you can see that arm talent in, in action. So, so Jameis Winston is going to have a great year now that he can see. I said it a million times. I'm going to keep saying it. Because he actually has a medical reason for his improvement. <laughs> Most improved player. He has a medical reason for his improvement, and he will have a great season, and he will show everyone why they were too quick to doubt him. It's amazing what happens when you get your eyes fixed. I'm, I'm someone who's a fan of Jameis Winston. I'm glad that he gets the opportunity to start again. He's a starting caliber player in the NFL. I think week one was a fluke. The Green Bay Packers organization did not show up. Whoever it was, they threw on the field. That wasn't the Packers of 2020. The Packers, simply put, were just complete garbage on the field. And Jameis Winston took advantage. Any starting quarterback in the NFL should be able to take advantage of that. The throws that he was making, there were some nice throws. But several of his touchdowns, just quarterbacks falling on the ground. Players running into each other. The Packers did not have a great defensive showing. And Jameis Winston took advantage, as he should have. I hope Jameis Winston does become the most improved player. Because it would mean that the Saints got a guy. And Jameis Winston gets to play in the league some more. And we get to see him throw up some more dubs. So he can eat some dubs in the pregame. The reason why it's going to be Jalen Hurts. He has an extra year of experience. There is not going to be any noise outside because of Doug Peterson and him inexplicably turning into a bad coach all of a sudden. He's going to have better receivers. He's going to be working in Devontae Smith as well as bringing back all of their wide receivers from last year. They're going to have a decent receiving core. The offense in general is going to be more balanced. They drafted some offensive linemen. That's going to be able to help out Miles Sanders in the offense. The offensive attack for the Eagles this year is going to be more balanced and is going to give Jalen Hurts opportunities to succeed. And for those reasons, 
Jalen Hurts is going to be your most improved player of the year. Yeah, you're you're right. Um, you're right. Uh, I, uh, Jameis Winston played the Packers. He, he didn't play the powerhouse that is the Falcons that Jalen Hurts played. So he lit up an elite defense, um, and and was going to continue that throughout all of the year. If if you're saying that the Packers defense that threw out yesterday, they would have lost to anybody. Excuses from a Packers fan, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> that that Packer team would have lost to anybody yesterday. Bishop Sycamore included. <laughs> that was some great arguments. I think one thing when looking at the Eagles is they don't have a top tier running back like um, Jameis Winston has with Alvin Kamara. They have Miles Sanders, and you said Jameis Winston first game might be a fluke. You might be right. Who knows? But he has, when he gets in trouble, if he's having a bad game, he has a second option in Alvin Kamara, and I don't think Jalen Hurts has that. And I think there's going to be more pressure and more passing attempts from Jalen Hurts, and I think that's going to get to a young quarterback. And that's why I'm going with the more experienced Jameis Winston. And now, rookie of the year. I can go ahead and start this one. Um, you know, there's a lot to choose from here, a lot of good rookies. Um, oddly enough, I'm, I'm kind of going to relate back to, to what Keegan just said. And I, I'm looking at Devontae Smith. I really am. Um, a, a lot of the attention goes to the quarterbacks, and, and there's a lot of pressure on, these, on the, the three quarterbacks that were taken with the first three picks. Neither of them or none of them are in particularly good situations. Um, Trey Lance didn't even start. Um, and, and I think that throughout the course of the year, there will be many kind of minor victories for, for, these, for these quarterbacks, like making a few good throws, and you can see the promise. But I don't think any of them will hit yet because the team around them is just not good. So with that in mind, I'm looking for – I'm looking for, for kind of a different position. And I think wide receiver is one of the most NFL-ready talents, just positionally, one, one that the transition seems to be the easiest. And I think uh, Devontae Smith will have a kind of a Justin Jefferson-like year where he's just consistent all year long and a, and a, and a good target for Jalen Hurts when, when he kind of needs it. They, they really don't have a, a, a number one target as of right now. So um, I'm looking at Devontae Smith to put together a surprising season and just be that consistent um, kind of bailout option for, for Jalen Hurts. And while the other quarterbacks tend to struggle in their new situations, I'm going with Devontae Smith. Devontae Smith's a great pick. I'm going to compare my pick to last year's Rookie of the Year. Last year's Rookie of the Year was Justin Herbert. He was someone who didn't even play in the first few weeks. In fact, he only started playing because of a mistake that a doctor made by puncturing Tyrod Taylor's lung. Justin Herbert goes out and nearly beats the Chiefs in the very first game of the year. The person who I'm picking for rookie of the year is someone who didn't play week one. I take that back. He threw for 10 yards in week one, and that would be Justin Fields with the Bears. The original idea for the Bears this season was to play Andy Dalton all year long just let him take all the hits. Just give Justin Fields more time to prepare, more time to do his thing so he can come out and be a great quarterback next year when they draft some more offensive line talent so they can protect him a little more. 
the NFC North is all zero and one right now. Everybody's in first place. Everyone's in last place. Justin Fields is going to have the opportunity to start. I predict in a few weeks, whether it's because of an injury to Andy Dalton, which I wish on nobody, but whether it's simply because the NFC North struggling and the Bears see an opportunity to win with that defense and so, an offense that just needs a great quarterback to get the motor going. Justin Fields has proved that he's able to take some hits and get outside of the pocket and make some throws on the run, which he's going to have to do in that Chicago offense. Matt Nagy could very well be coaching for his job throughout this season. If that happens, he's going to have an opportunity to play and he's going to succeed. Justin Fields is going to be 2021's Justin Herbert. All right. So some great arguments once again. I feel like I'm saying that every time, but we're going to keep it rolling. My biggest thing, I I do think Justin Fields is going to be the rookie of the year, but he has to play. And is, exactly. is Nagy smart enough to start him? <laughs> no. I honestly don't think so. I think it's ridiculous that Andy Dalton started next week. So – or last week, my apologies. So I have a hard time picking a quarterback with a terrible coach, terrible team. So I got to go with Devontae Smith on this one. And that means Tanner wins judgment four to one. Better next time, Keegan. <laughs> well, I'll be going up against you next time. So we'll have to wait and see. I'll be sure to make some d- good categories for, for the next judgment episode. Sounds good. That wraps it up for today. Thank you all so much for tuning into the pod. We appreciate your support. The clock has ran out on this episode, but we'll see you in the next one on Crunch Time.